Father, we thank you for your word becoming alive in the lives of the saints. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light that we may bring this light to those who are still in darkness. And through your light, they might be shown the glorious face of the Lord Jesus Christ. Use us and the word that changes us and causes us to become not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. I thank you. I pray that the word today will come out and give us understanding of what your will is and where we are called in that will. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Second part of vision is perceiving Christ. Let's turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We will look in this passage, beginning with verse 10. And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables, that seeing they might not see, hearing they might not understand. And then he goes on to talk about the parable of the sower. Not everyone who's looking at something understands what they're looking at. The understanding requires a fundamental knowledge. For example, if you go into an art gallery and you look at the art on the wall, and there's this one art, it is a canvas, and it's kind of off-white. That's all it is, there's nothing else on there. It looks like a blank canvas. And you wonder, well, why is that art? Why is a blank canvas art? The problem is, we haven't learned to appreciate art, I'm talking about from a cultural context, but I haven't come to a knowledgeable position to appreciate that. On the other hand, I went to SF Mumar, and they had a Chuck Close, incredible story. He, um, he was a great painter, uh, an artist, and then he had an accident and he became a quadriplegic. Again, to paint again, he determined that his accident and his condition would not stop him. So he learned to paint with his mouth. But then he endeavored to do something that is even greater than when he had fully the use of his arms and legs, and that he decided to paint these giant murals. He painted these giant wall-sized canvases. You see his picture, he looks like a normal person, but then you realize he's quadriplegic. Understanding the artist, knowing who he is and what happened to him and the limitation. Now I'm looking at the art, it becomes much more magnified. The work and the effort, it becomes so much more than if I did not know about the artist himself. The perception, our perception change when we understand who God is, we look at life, we look at things that happen around us, and we perceive things richer and it's deeper and it's more real when we understand the person who painted everything here, God himself. So perception is what is real. Sight is subjective. Each one of us, we might be looking at a picture, and some of us will see an old woman, some of us will see a young woman. Some can only see an old woman, some can only see a young woman, and then once someone told you about it, then you look at it and you see both. It is the grace of God, it's the gift of God that he's chosen these individuals to show them give them a perspective of what they're looking at, meaning the wisdom to understand what they're looking at. And then to others, they're just a story, a parable. It is insignificant. So three things, the intent, Romans chapter eight, verse 29, let's start there. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, 
that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's purpose has always been about Jesus Christ. God's purpose has always been about his son. When we read the scripture, when I talk about the scripture, again, I'm, I'm referring to the Old Testament. When I'm referring to the Bible, I'm talking about both the Old Testament and the New Testament. If I talk about the New Testament, I would say the New Testament. When we read the scripture, all of the scripture talks about his son, Jesus Christ. If we don't read the scripture in light of God's will or God's mind toward his son, then we miss the whole thing. Remember the two friends on the way to Emmaus, and they talk to each other, and Jesus Christ expound to them the scripture. And then he said, you slow heart. The scripture talks about the Son of God, the Messiah. Of course, in the end, the mind, the eyes was enlightened, and then they saw who he was, and he disappeared. Notice, he came to them. They were on the way, a destination of their own choosing, but Jesus Christ, God himself, came and attached himself to the friends, and on the way, he expanded to them. So God has chosen those two friends, predestinated them to have this encounter with Jesus Christ, for whom he did foreknow, also did predestinate for them to be conformed to the image of his son. So God's purpose for each one of us is to conform to Jesus Christ. Now, how do we conform to an image that we can't see? In the days of the apostles, we know it might be a little bit easier for them because they do see Christ in the flesh. If you see someone in the flesh, like, for example, your hero, the kids who do this very well, it's innate in them. They would dress like them, they would talk like them, they would walk like them, they act like them, and they do the sound voice over that sounds like their favorite superheroes. But now we don't see Christ. And Paul talks about this. He even put the notion of seeing Christ aside for holding on to Christ that is more eternal because Christ is no longer with us in the flesh. How can we conform to the image of God's Son whom we can't see? Well, Augustine developed this concept for us, and that is seeing God with our mind's eye. And how do we see God with our mind's eye? And that's the subject of our discussion today, is that we perceive Christ through the Scripture, in the light of the Scripture, and now we need to understand, and Jesus talked about, the understanding of the Scripture through perception to God's gift for us. Number one is revelation. So the first thing that we are given is we are given revelation. What is the difference between revelation and simply reading the Bible? Non-believer can read the Bible, but they have no revelation. Revelation is the understanding of the things that we read. Philosophy is the love of wisdom. And only those who are engaged in finding what wisdom is dwell deep within the subject, they find simple text, simple writing, become so rich and so powerful, and it changes. And it changes not only the lives of the people who engage in finding of wisdom. Solomon talks about this too. He says, seek wisdom. That is the love of, of wisdom. That's philosophy. And only those who seek will find. Revelation is when God chooses to reveal something to us about himself, it is in the form of revelation. It's not that we read something and we know, ah, that's God. It's not. Think about it this way. You know the triangle, you can draw a triangle on a piece of paper, can you? Now, is that triangle real when you draw it on a piece of paper? When you draw a triangle on a piece of paper, it's real, isn't it? If you don't draw the triangle on a piece of paper, is it still real? 
It's a form. Yes, someone read Tayo. Yes, it's a form. It's an unchangeable form. And that unchangeable form without substance is more real than the triangle that you, because the triangle that you draw is only a reference to something that is real. So our concept of God has to be a reflection of something that is more real, and that is God. For us to become knowledgeable in God, God has to reveal himself, such as the triangle. So someone has to formulate that triangle and then teaches to us, and we know the triangle, we know it has three points, you know it has three lines, and therefore it's a triangle. We need to learn it. If we don't learn it, we can't perceive, we can't come up with our mind, we can't have that mental picture. What we need today is we need a new mind. Last time I talked about we need a new heart to see, now we need a new mind, a renewal of the mind. In 1 Corinthians 2.16, we have the mind of Christ. He already made a conclusion, but for us, we have the mind of Christ. And how do we have the mind of Christ? Because we've been born again. All those who have been born again have the mind of Christ. Think of it this way. You're human, you're not a dog, and therefore you are human, you have a human mind. But we do know there are people that we read about that are human, but they don't act and behave like human, even though they have a human mind. In the same way, you can think about it, there are those who have been born again of God. Now this is something that I would have some caveats to, but the sake of illustration. If we have the mind of Christ, but if we don't learn, because dogs can't learn, they cannot learn geometry. They can only learn things that are subjected to their brain capability. But human, we can learn much more. Our brain have the capacity to learn a lot more things. Now, if you have the mind of Christ, then my thesis is that you can learn God. Without the mind of Christ, we cannot learn God. We can only learn parables. We can try to simulate these teachings of Christ, but we have not the mind of Christ, and therefore we cannot perceive God, and therefore we cannot know God. So to us, it would just be parables. I mean, us as in those who have not the mind of Christ. But to us who have the mind of Christ, we can know God. And that is the purpose of having the mind of Christ. And to you, God, uh, Jesus talked to his disciples and to those who have been born again. It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. And that is revelation. The secrets of God are with those who fear him. Revelation of God comes to those who fear God. If there are no reverence to God in our lives, then revelation will not come. Secondly, it is by God's will alone. Jesus answered and said unto him, and this is Matthew 16, 17, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. When Simon Peter confessed that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, Jesus punctuated that statement with, it's not you that came up with it. My Father gave you that revelation. So we know all revelations come from Father. We can't come up, we can't philosophize it. It has to be given to us through revelation. And the revelation of God comes through the Holy Spirit. That's the only way the revelation of God is communicated into our mind's eye. And that is 1 Corinthians 2.10. But God hath revealed them, meaning his mystery, to us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So the Spirit of God communicates those mystery, or the mysterious things of God to us. Christ promised that the Spirit would come and dwell with us. So this is the promise that we receive from Christ. His Spirit is the instructor of the Christian's mind of Christ, teaching us the deep and hidden things of God. 
through revelation. So from revelation, then now we have salvation. Evangelical movement, especially in the West here in America, I believe we put the cart before the horse. I believe that revelation has to come first, and from that revelation, meaning God has to choose and make his will known to us, with that revelation, we come to the knowledge of salvation. So I will put revelation first, and then salvation second. Not that you come to the knowledge, not that you know that you need salvation, you cry out to God, and then God give it to you. It's the other way around. The revelation of salvation causes you to call out to God. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 3, starting with verse 3. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. As I wrote afore in few words, whereby when you read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. The, the Apostle Paul says, what I have was given to me through revelation of God, which is other ages were not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto his holy apostle and prophets by the Spirit. Contrasting what happened in the scripture in the Old Testament with what happened after the time of Jesus Christ, revelation after he said, wait until my spirit come upon you. So the Holy Spirit is the instrument in which God used or God himself uses to reveal salvation to us, the knowledge and the mystery of God. That the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body partaker of the promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I want us to keep this in mind because we're going to come back with this. When the Apostle Paul speaks and wrote the New Testament, the letters, he has this one thing in mind, and that is the Jews and the Gentiles. He's defending the Gentile in saying that this is the mystery. You too can be saved. Now I'm speaking in terms of everyone who's sitting here. None of us are Jews. And what the Apostle Paul said, the mystery is that we can be saved. We don't have to be Jews. You don't have to be circumcised. You're happy about that, right? We're just talking this morning, car talk, about how King Saul wanted to get rid of David by putting a high dowry on his princess, Michael. David was to be his son-in-law. He needs to collect 100 foreskin of the Philistine. And David outdo himself by taking 200 foreskin. And he didn't know what that was, so I explained to him, and he is cringing. But the apostle, going back to the scripture, the apostle Paul says, no, through Christ, we can be saved. You are saved through Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which the beginning of the world has been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So he even stepped up the revelation of God and saying, not only the Gentiles would be saved through Christ, but also everyone, including the Jews, in the same channel that God uses to save all men. This is the mystery. Jesus Christ is not an alternative to salvation to the Jew. Jesus Christ is actually supersedes. He's actually the one that saves everyone, Jews and Gentiles. And that is the mystery. That is the mystery of salvation. And so once the revelation has been made, salvation comes and salvation makes us heirs to the promise of Jesus Christ. The mystery by faith. So Abraham was saved because he believed in God. We are saved today because we believe in Christ. And the promise of salvation to the Jew is now communicated through Jesus Christ. For example, when I first come to the United States, I didn't think that it would be a thing for me to be naturalized until in 1995, I need to go back to Vietnam. And I realized I can't go. I don't have a passport, I can't go. I can't get a passport in the US because I'm not a naturalized citizen in the US. What do I do? 
I need to get what's called a re-entry permit, meaning this is a one-time thing. I go out and the U.S. will allow me to come back into the United States. So I went back to the United States and I became naturalized and then so I applied and I got a passport. Now I have a blue and also a white document. But the blue document now supersedes the white document. I don't need to use the white document anymore. The blue one does all and it is for 10 years. It's not a one-time use thing. <clears throat> In the same way you can think about if the passports get you into heaven, then through the scripture, through the Jewish lineage, God saves those who are of the Jews into the kingdom of God. But when Jesus Christ, and that is like, that's like an entry permit. But when Jesus Christ come, he gave you the passport. He is the passport. You don't need this one-time thing. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. When Jesus was at the well and he was talking to the Samaritan woman, pointing to the mountain and Jerusalem, and she said, you, the Jews, worship God in Jerusalem, but we, Samaritan, we worship God on this mountain. The time has come and it is now that those who worship the Father will worship in spirit and in truth. It's no longer at Jerusalem, which is a place, on top of the mountain, which is a place, it is now in Christ. Spirit and truth is in Christ. Now that we worship the Father, Father, seek those who worship Him. Through Christ, we are now brought into the fellowship with the Father, and we don't need to go to Jerusalem. We don't need to make our pilgrimage there. We don't need to go up the mountain. It is now in Christ that we are saved through faith. We are Jewish by faith and not by being born through Abraham. The promise of salvation that God had made to Abraham comes to us through the righteousness of faith and not of the lineage. And that's why the Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Righteousness imputed by faith in the gospel. So the righteousness that we receive by faith that declares that we are the offspring of Christ is by faith, believing in the gospel. Salvation is when the Christian stands before God and he declares that the Christian is righteous. That is, you have no sin. Luther, as someone argues, that you need to merit your salvation, meaning you need to do something good so that you can be saved through God. And he said, imagine you standing before God. Imagine you bringing to God, God, I fed the poor, went to church, I play in the band. Imagine you say all these things to God. Can you imagine you saying all these things to God, standing there? When we stand before God, we're speechless. We stand before that glory, we're speechless. The only thing that will save us is the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us. Jesus Christ himself stands between us and God the Father as our lawyer and says, this man is righteous because I died for him. That's the only way. This declaration of righteousness is the sole work of Jesus Christ. No one else can stand between us and the judgment of God because he was delivered for our offenses and was raised for our justification. Jesus Christ did the work. By believing in the Lord's sacrifice for us, we trade our sins for Christ's righteousness. And because now we are righteous, for whom he did call, he did also justify and he did also glorify. So justification comes glorification. And what is glorification? 1 Corinthians 2.7 But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. 
the Apostle Paul says that the purpose that God has revealed this mystery to us is so that the glory of Jesus Christ might be our inheritance and that we might be glorified through God. Glorification of the saint of God is not only in the life to come, but also in this life. The parable of the seeds, what, is God, what do you think God wants to do when he plants the seed? He's looking for fruits. To bear fruit, that's glory, God's intention. If we want to perceive what God wants, then we should bear fruit unto God. Perfecting the saint. Eternal glory is making you perfect, and making you perfect is making you bearing fruit. Because a good tree will bear good fruit. A perfect tree will bear good fruit. And that's God's intention. So good seed plant on good soil become good tree which bear good fruit. And it makes God happy because God in the beginning was a gardener. God in the beginning, he planted the garden. Oh. Yeah, he was a gardener. You are happy when the garden performs. It bears fruit. You walk into the garden and you see all these trees and it bears fruit and it makes you happy. And we know what makes God happy is when we bear the fruit of Jesus Christ because God's intention has always been his son. And his son, the seed sown, bearing fruit in our lives, will become glorious to God and becomes, when God's happy, you're happy. Everybody, creation is happy when God is happy. 1 Peter 5.10, The God of grace who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Jesus Christ. After that, we have suffered a little while. Make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. God's purpose is to make you bear fruit and make you perfect. That's glorification. The perfection of the saints of God is the effectual working of Christ's salvation in our heart. It's evident. When you bear fruit, it means that you are in a good tree, that the seed was planted with a good seed, and that the soil of your heart is a good soil. It's evidential. The Lord is glorified in the Christian through the process of maturity in the knowledge of God. The more fruit you bear, the more you come to know the seed that made this fruit, and that is Jesus Christ. You come to know Christ in an increasing way. The increasing knowledge of God, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is God's intention, that we bear fruit, we walk in glory, and increase in our knowledge of God. And hence, we want to have the mind of Christ, perceive Christ, seeing what God's doing in our lives. When the mind has the perception of Christ, it continues to grow and mature into the greater revelation of God. I alluded earlier in Matthew chapter 12, which talks about for those who have, more is given. So as you grow, more will be given to you. The increasing knowledge and increasing revelation of God. Faith increases, knowledge increases, and glory increases. Influences that alter our perception. There are many things that change our perception. There was one example that heard in a conference when they have people from different areas around the world congregate. And the presenter presented, there's an image on the projector, and this image is of a tiger in a jungle. So he sent out a survey, question, what do you see? When the results come back, one was, I see a tiger. The other one came back, says, I saw a jungle with a tiger in it. How we perceive things depends on our background, where we come from, how we were raised. And this distinction came from the Western and the Eastern philosophy. In the Western, we are more individualistic. So when we look at the picture from the Western perspective, we see a tiger. 
the perspective of an individual is highly esteemed. Personal right, personal freedom, individual rights are highly esteemed in the West. But in the East, it's more of a community, a collective. People who have raised in the East look at the picture and see a jungle. And then there's a tiger in the jungle. The tiger is not the main subject, it's the jungle. It's the subject where everyone is a part of. It depends on your background, where you came from, how you've been taught, and what philosophical or even economical, in terms of capitalist, communist society, or authoritarian society, we perceive things differently. And that perception shapes how we look at things. We are influenced by the things that we see and taught and know, and that changes our perspective. Really. We look at things very differently because of our background. There are two things I want to talk about. One is tradition, and the other one is doctrine. Things that we have been raised in, and the other one is things that we've been taught in. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, this is what we need to be influenced by. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Apostle Paul laid out. This is where we need to put our minds in. The scripture, the gospel, is where we need to fix our focus on and let this mind be in us. Let the gospel speak to us. Let us immerse in the scripture. When I started to make this a daily routine, and that is to memorize the scripture on a daily basis. Now, uh, I have to tell you, I'm not successful every single day. There are days when I just cannot memorize this one verse, and it took me a couple of days to memorize a, a verse. And then there are days that it comes very easily. I can memorize like two or three verses. But something happened along the way since when I started to make this a daily routine, meaning memorizing the scripture, is that it's getting easier. With one caveat, if I stick to one version of the Bible, meaning I'm sticking to the King James because it's written in prose, which is easier for me to memorize. Having yourself immersed even in the language alone changes the way the brain is and it helps us to have our mind in the right place. Be not conformed, you immerse yourself in worldly things. They will influence the way your brain thinks and the way your brain perceives things. Let's try to immerse ourselves in the gospel in the way of the gospel, then our perspective and our perception will change according to how the gospel changes us. 200 days into my Greek endeavor, it's becoming easier. Whoever says 28 days to change the habit, they're wrong. It takes longer than that, much longer, and it takes persistence. But it's becoming easier. It's not easy. It's easier than the beginning. Beginning, I was, I literally become so afraid of looking at it because I don't understand it. We're afraid of things that we don't understand. The Christian environment influences perception and shape his purpose to understand our Christian value system. We must have a mind renewed through, first of all, abolishing the old value system. The world will tell you certain things. If we want to adopt a new mind, then we need to abolish the old mindset. I have many bad habits, and one of those habits is distraction. I will be working on my computer. Something flashes through my mind. I pull up Google, look for it. Half an hour later, I'm somewhere else. And then now I have to work backwards and figure out where I left off. And they have to go back even before that. The thing that I need to do was I need to set a timer and I cannot change what I'm doing until the timer goes off and then I can have a five minutes break and then I go about it. We need to break the old habit to form a new habit. And the world will teach you some really old and terrible habits. And we need to break those to form new ones. Secondly, we need to learn the new tradition of the gospel. The Christian must live by faith through the study of the gospel doctrines and the tradition of the church. So tradition, when I use the term tradition, I mean something that is good and that's, it's not necessarily bad. 
Tradition comes from the Latin word traditio. What it means is handed down. Everything that we know and we built upon was handed down to us. There are certain things that are bad that we should reject, but most of the things are good. Where we are today, if it wasn't handed down to us through Reformation, we wouldn't have a church today. So tradition is a good thing if we know how to read through it and study and weed out the bad stuff. But first, we need to abandon the world's value system. The value system of the world is a contest of recognition. What is your friend doing? You're trying to do the same thing or outdo them. Popularity, fame is the world's currency. Uh, we trade it in likes. In John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Everything that world offers you it's of no use. We're born into the world's value system. The process of changing our perspective involves recognizing our flesh has been sold to sin, Romans 7, 14, that we must break from that tendency. The deceitfulness of riches in the world will choke the word and cause the Christian to be unfruitful, and thus our glory fades. But what we need to do is we need to learn from the tradition of the church. Second Thessalonians 2, 15, Therefore, brethren, Stand fast and hold the tradition which ye have been taught, whether by word or by epistle. Two things that the Apostle Paul mentioned here. The tradition that we should learn from is by word, preaching of the gospel, and by the Bible itself. So epistle, he's mentioning specifically the New Testament. So those are the tradition that we should learn. And all of our theology today is based on what's in the Bible. Nothing aside from the Bible. All things theologically that we have today, formulated by the church fathers, has been the study of the scripture. So tradition is a good thing. The Lord established the church with his disciples who were there with them, first-hand witnesses. They were there with the, the Lord. They saw him, they heard him, they transmit those things, handed down tradition, traditio handed down to us, and we should hold on to those things to be the source of truth. In Luke chapter 1, verse 3, he addressed to Theophilus, stating that had perfect understanding of all things from the very first. Disciples had perfect understanding from the very first. They wrote them down, thank God. Uh, they learned how to read and write, and they wrote it down, and today you have it. We have the scripture, we have what's handed down to us, so we should hold on to those things. But we should be judicious in what we learn and study, not all things, we need to understand and learn things carefully. The second thing is doctrine, meaning the teaching of the apostles. Second John chapter one verse nine says, whoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. It's very clear. If we study and hold on to the doctrine, meaning the teaching, not just the word, a memorization of the word is good, but holding on to the teaching of the word. The scripture says we have both the Father and the Son. To excel in a discipline, you must learn the fundamentals. Let's say if you are a musician, you got to immerse yourself in the study of notes and key signature and melody and tempo. You have to be fluent in all things related to music if you want to be a composer. There are a few fundamentals that we need to know to move in the scripture or to move in the spiritual realm. And it begins with the Bible. We need to know the Bible. We need to study the Bible. And then we need to learn the apostles' doctrine. To perceive the world through Christ, you must learn the teachings of Christ. You must study the doctrine of the Lord. This is what the apostles did in the beginning. In Acts chapter 2, 
verse 42, And they, disciples, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking of bread and in prayers. This is what they did continually. Continue steadfastly. And the first thing of all these things, even before prayers, is the apostles' doctrine. They learned the doctrine. As the Christian is immersed in the gospel teaching, his mind is shaped by Christ's doctrine and enables him to perceive life through Christ's perspective. I can guarantee you this. As you study and you learn the doctrine of the gospel, your mind will be shaped by the gospel and you will be perceiving things through the lens of the gospel instead of your own traditional perspective or your own worldly perspective. You've seen those people who look at the world through the eyes of Christ. They behave differently, they act differently, they talk differently because their mind is shaped by the gospel and not by uh, the tradition of men. Ultimately, our task is to fulfill the Great Commission. And the Great Commission is go into the world and teach everything that I have given to you. So that's our mandate, that's our commandment. Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, in psalm, in hymns, spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. There are various forms of doctrinal studies, uh, not just the word, but also in worship, in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, all those things are applicable in the teaching of the doctrine of Christ. I want to close with some impediments that you will run into, and that is the devil. It's always around. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, In whom the God of this world had blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine upon them. Here's a disturbing passage, and this passage tells you that if someone can't understand the gospel, probably because of the devil. Read the scripture again, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. In whom the God of this world hath blinded their minds of them which believe not. So it is not that they don't believe, it's that they can't believe because their eyes have been blinded by the God of this world. In other words, by the devil. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, meaning God wants the light of Christ to shine into their heart, but they can't because there's a veil. Now, isn't the death of Christ supposed to rent this veil and that there is no veil anymore? The death of Christ did rent the veil in the same way that Moses had the veil over his face toward his people, meaning the veil that was on Moses' face caused the glory of God not to be able to communicate directly to the people, Christ has now rent that veil, meaning the veil of the scripture to the people, not at large. So when Christ came, the veil that was on Moses, this is explained further in Hebrews, the veil that was on Moses upon his people, now his spiritual people is now rent. Now we, the people who have been born again, have access to God's glorious life through Jesus Christ. But unbelievers, people who are incapable of believing, the veil of the devil still blinded them. Now remember, the veil that is on Moses was not the veil of the devil, but it was the veil that they put on Moses himself. The devil still has the veil, can still cover your eyes, that you cannot see the light of Christ. The eyes may be able to see, but unless the veil is taken away, we won't be able to perceive what we're seeing. So imagine that your eye has received the light, it goes into the back of your eye, 
the retina in the back of the eye. It takes the light signal and converts that signal into neurological signal. And that neurological signal, where does it go? It has to go through the optic nerves, it goes across over on the other side, so your left eye will go into the right brain and the right eye will go to the left brain. If that optic nerve is somehow severed, your eye still can perceive light, but signal doesn't go into your brain. You still can't perceive. That veil, it prevents you from seeing, from understanding, from perceiving Christ. You can give this Bible to people, they can read it, but they don't understand it. There's no perception of Christ. The two friends on Emmaus, they know the scripture, but it's not revealed to them until Christ gives them revelation of the word. So how do we combat this in our own lives and for the people around us? First of all, arm yourself with the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. That is the sword of the Spirit. The devil might come and veil us, the gospel promises, and we counter that by the Word of God. Think about Jesus in the wilderness. The devil came and tempted Jesus with, did not God said, the Word of God. And Jesus countered the devil with the Word of God. So Jesus was the Word, so the devil has no chance. We need to counter the devil devices with the Word of God. So that's why I'm trying to memorize the Bible every day. I want to have that Word ready in my mind, so that not only it shapes and changes my mind, but I can use it whenever thoughts come into my mind. The devil is attacking, makes you unstable, makes you confuse or doubt his promises. So secondly, come closer to God. Come closer to God. Second uh, Corinthians 3, 14 and 16. But their minds were blinded, for until the day remained the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament. And then 16, which veil is done away in Christ? Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. So one way for us to have this veil taken away is come closer to God. How do you come closer to God? Through prayer and faith. Without faith, no one can come to God. So come to God, come boldly to God by the blood of Jesus Christ and come to him with supplication, with prayer. And when you come close to God, then the devil will flee from you. Scripture promised you, come close to God. Okay? Arm yourself with the word of God, come close to God through prayer. And the scripture have the word of Christ richly dwell in us. Then we begin to remove the impediments that the devil has on us and that we begin to perceive things through Christ's eyes.